Welcome back to the X-Files podcast by LSG Media. I'm Dean. I'm Josh. And on this week's episode, we bring you Season 2, Episode 1, Little Green Men. The Incredible Sulk is here. He, he, he has bursted through his clothes, but more of a metaphorical clothing that he's burst through. He's burst through. He's he's bursted through clothing that would make him uh, fun to be around. That clothing has been bursted apart, and standing in its place is a hulking, teeming with veins, pumping self doubt through his body. <laughs> Mulder, I like it. Old Mopey Mulder. Welcome to season two, episode one, Little Green Men. Yeah, here we go, dude. Let me tell you something right now. Um, I, you know, it's funny. I watched this episode. I'm like, I don't really, I watched it two times. And I said, ah, so, you, you know, like, I don't feel like a lot happened, right? But then I watched it again and I said, whoa, au contraire. Quite a bit happened from a character standpoint. And I guess that's where a lot of this hinges. But, um, I'm excited to talk about this. I I kind of dig it, but I'm also like your show is called X Files, and the episode's called Little Green Men. That's that's almost perfect, right? For sure. for the idea of is it real? Is it is it not? But then I was like, but it's called Little Green Men. So the question becomes: Does it live up to such a title, and does it live up to a season two premiere? Do you want to do you want to delve into that now, or do you want to save that shit for later? How about we call that a prompting question? Oh, I like it. And we'll like maneuver it. through and arrive. We'll hash it out. Okay. Um. The so Mulder is talking probes. He says we wanted to believe, right? We wanted to call out, and uh, he's doing this whole thing. We he's talking about August twentieth, September five. Uh, 1977. Yep. A couple of spacecraft launched from Kennedy, the Voyager, and uh, each one carries a message. And uh, we hear what, Kurt Waldheim saying, I send greetings on behalf of the people of our planet. We step out of our solar system in the universe seeking only peace. And uh, Mulder continues. What do you think about this? Well, you know what's funny, man? I don't generally enjoy a lot of like voiceover. There's a lot of things that I could say are found in X-Files that I don't enjoy in a lot of shows, but I really enjoy them in X-Files. The mm. way the way they do the intros and outros, the way that we have, you know, and a lot of, especially a lot of the heavy episodes, we have a, <clears throat> a Mulder or a Scully voiceover to start or especially towards the end of episodes, we have a, a voiceover as maybe Scully is writing up her report or, Mulder is doing his rambling. It becomes such a part of the the fabric of the show and it relates so well to the characters that I do enjoy it. And here, you know, we wrapped up this first season of this show that nobody had a lot of expectations about and it really surpassed them dramatically um, in a very successful way. And here it is coming back in and we have it with Mulder coming back from a, a shutdown X-Files mm-hmm. 
And uh, I like what he's saying here. I like I like his whole his whole intro to this. I think I think it paints I think it paints the the show in the way that we want to delve back into it. They, they've shut they've shut us down. The tools have been taken away. the The realms of extreme possibility have been shut off, and we see like literally see these machines that are kicking on to receive the message of the tools that were taken away. It's like a very obvious kind of metaphor, but, but it's cool. And, uh, and it, and it opens in a way that we're like, okay, are we actually going to see the things that we never actually really saw in season one? Yep. That's a good, uh, that's a good summation. Um, it could just be a David Duchovny thing, but David Duchovny in monologues is peanut butter and jelly to me. You know, I think it is just sort of the fabric of Western civilization. David Duchovny does monologues. He does them in this. He does them in Californication. He does them in movies he's in. Um, what the hell's that movie he's in with Brad Pitt, Juliette Lewis, and Michelle Forbes? Uh, California. <sighs> with a K, right? Yeah, right? I, he, you don't. It always gets messed up in my head because he did Californication. Yeah, I know. It's California that, with a K. Yeah, I think it's California with a K. And Brad Pitt's like, get him, Brad, you mean dog. <laughs> He's like that nasty hit guy. He stabs people with a fucking Rambo tea knife in the men's room at tr- truck stops and shit. And he <laughs> humps fucking, he humps Juliette Lewis, who's borderline, like, can't get right, while <laughs> staring at the other girl. That's the other guy's wife. I mean, that's a little aggressive. Mm. But yeah, that, sorry, I went a little bit, um, it doesn't matter. My point is he does monologues in that as well because he's talking about serial killers and blah, 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 and criminology and blah, 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 and his wife's taking pictures. And um, and they just work. He doesn't do them as extensively in Californication, but he does do them, um, and they're usually hilarious. But I, I like the monologue in this. I think you got to be careful in movies and stuff if you make it too cheesy. I think it works in something like film noir, like the guy literally turns, you know, like dead men don't wear plaid, Steve Martin, so brilliant, walking towards the screen. He's like, so the dame walked into my office. He's like talking to us. He's breaking the fourth wall, right? <laughs> no, I read well, your what? diaries. Oh, Donnie oh. girl, are you kidding? Hell yes. Nice. Masturbatory material for uh, uh, adolescents. And well, I'll, I'll also take dead men don't wear plaid. That's a great one. Ah, but, so good. But you're right, man. Like, Duchovny has a voice that, this guy sounds like he's used to talking to himself, but it also makes sense for the characters where when they're doing it, it's uh, it, it fits into the universe, and and that kind of matters. Like, yes, it's an easy kind of writing tool, but if, right, it, right. if it if it's consistent, you know, and it stays consistent throughout the show for the most part. I mean, at times they kind of overdo it, but but I like it here. And and what other way? It would be worse if they tried to come back in with a like action piece. That that to me would would break my kind of worldview of X Files more than Duchovny voicing over talking in this you know weird semi obtuse poetic way. Very good observation. We- Let's yeah, absolutely. Can I? And I'm sorry, I jumped in because you excited me. No, please do. But but that is a good point, and here's why. Because you can't set the tone for the incredible sulk if you start with an action piece, because then you're 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 almost smuggling in the idea of excitement when there is none from him. It's unlikely he'd be excited about anything that wasn't directly threatening to him in that moment, right? So 
It's like, we got to get them there. And then how are you going to paint this picture? The X-Files have been closed. You need to kind of open a little bit somber, don't yeah. you? You kind of do. And it, and it is somber. For sure. It feels like he's giving like a requiem for the human race, <laughs> for the hopes and dreams of his, <laughs> of, of his search for truth in a way. Sure. And it's, and it's perfect. Yeah, man. He is, uh, he's, in a, he's in a weird headspace. But I guess the last thing he says is, 13 years after his launch, Voyager 1 passed the orbital plane of Neptune. Um, pretty wild, by the way. I was just yeah. looking this up as to when it was going to reach, um, ah, what the hell is it? When it's going to reach the Oort cloud? Yeah. Dude. Not that long ago, a year or two ago, it, it passed another milestone. Um, I don't know if it was the orbital plane of Pluto. I, I'm talking out of my ass, but there was a year or two ago, I listened to a couple science podcasts, and, and Voyager 1 had crossed like another, you know, a, it, it's the furthest object no matter what. It has been since, you know, basically then, since a few years after it was launched, but it crossed another one of those boundaries. Yeah, pretty cool. Um, it's It's got a very extensive Wikipedia, but here is a quick piece from the Voyager 1 Wikipedia, which is just a future of the probe chart. Oh, man. Um, in 2020, 2020, start shutdown of science instruments, right? 2025, 2030 will no longer be able to power even a single instrument. So it'll just kind of be floating. Isn't that weird? Yeah. It's a satellite with this gold record. <laughs> just like, and at that point, after 2030, you know, unless a intelligent life form actually sees it, recognizes it as a, you know, a made, I can't say man-made because you're talking about aliens, but a, <laughs> a artificially created object and physically goes to intercept it and then pulls that gold-plated record off it, which has... Bach and <clears throat> that message and that stuff, mm-hmm. you know, that's the only way. And it really like strikes home later when the center, center Matheson is talking about it. That is a really cool little it's wild. piece. So we'll kind of leave it. But. Yeah. Just, just for point of order too, just to, just to start to wrap your head around the vastness of space, which sometimes I like to do because it just bends my noodle. And that's Voyager one is expected to reach the theorized, by the way, Oort cloud in 300 years. And once it arrives at the Oort cloud, it will take 30,000 years to pass through it. God damn. 30,000 years. <laughs> Jesus Christ, man. Wow. What a crazy, lonely little bot. Yeah. Dude, we can really go off on a tangent. You start talking about just the, the scale of those things is it's mental. To utter mental. insanity. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, you could, you could, we could talk about how light is a physical object and it gets destroyed by the gravity of black holes and I will just stay up all night thinking about it. It's pretty wild. Anyway. (laughs) Much more interesting than Facebook idiots. Yes. Yeah. Anyway. um, And there we go. Right in the credits. And uh, yeah, they mention uh, a few of these joints, one of which is Arecibo. Arecibo. Uh, Mulder mentions these. Yeah. Uh, but we come back from the credits to a, a stark reality, very different than this this hawking kind of uh, tangential conversation. Talk about strip joints. Yeah, yeah. Well, What's you know. the difference between a lap dance and a table dance? <laughs> According to O'Donnie Girl, who I think sums it up quite eloquently, 
One is a professional, one is not. Essentially, lap dance is done by a professional, she says, and then she goes on to say, table dance by a drunk co-ed. It's not wrong. Not wrong. Or I think the difference is about 100 bucks. Yeah, there you go. Or 50. Yeah, Depending well, to- oof. <laughs> you watch yourself. <laughs> you hope you don't get stabbed. What do you, th- what do you think about, so, so we see where Mulder's at. He, he's on this obviously very non-X-File surveillance job. Well, it's a very <laughs> concise shot, which shows that. <laughs> yeah, I was just thinking, sooner or later, he's going to be very fortunate, like Colton, when the towers come down, because then he'll be chasing people <laughs> with the last name of Mohammed instead of listening to guys talking about strippers they want to fuck. Because uh, he's not, counterterrorism is, is not really the thing yet. So I guess no. he's what, just doing White collar crime. It's kind of a dying, dying industry. Kind of a dying industry. <laughs> not a lot of extra funds going that way. God damn, um, dude. What do you think about Scully's intro here? She's, she's doing this, I, I guess, a, a class or whatever. Um, she's given an autopsy, basically, and she's teaching students. Um, and we've seen her a couple times. We knew that she was an instructor at the academy before she became a field agent in the past. And obviously she's a medical doctor and we see her here doing her thing and she kind of, kind of goes off. off. Yeah. A little bit. What what do you think about this? Um, I've been thinking about it quite a bit. Excuse me. Um, I thought about it quite a bit and you know, I think it goes into the rhythm of the episode in a very bizarre way. Um, and, and allow me creative license here. But Scully is saying what this man, at first it sounds like some Sylvia Plath shit, right? Like now that he has died, all of this is in, is, is has gone to oblivion is almost how I originally took it. Like really you've, you've busted out your goth album and you're really going deep, right? <laughs> like all, all of the, the summation of your experience has been annihilated by time. And that's, that's where my head went. And I was like, well, wait a minute. What, why? So this is what I do. I sometimes reverse engineer a scene. And I go, why does this scene, when they're in the fucking whiteboard and they're throwing ideas and they're banging Coke and they're like, what are we going to do, man? What's this, what's this scene about? I started to think, okay, maybe <clears throat> if I can take you on a journey, if you're brave, I'm going to say she may be there could be a weird correlation between her talking about this and Mulder. Okay. Outside of the death, perhaps the death being metaphorical. I'm sorry I sound like Matt Anderson. <laughs> but what, what this man imagined, so just this part, his dreams, who he loved, saw her, remembered what he feared. Somehow it's all locked inside this massive tissue and fluid. I started thinking about that. I was like, maybe there's something there regarding Mulder's very own reality of what he thinks he sees, what he wants to see. It's all kind of in his head type of thing. That's the only connection I could make to the larger narrative. That's some deep shit, bro. That's all I could do, man. Wow. Yeah. Did all the drugs to get there, though. Hey, Dean. Yeah. You sound a little spooky. Uh Uh-oh. That's a good one. (laughs) Sound a little spooky, pal. I hope you're comfortable getting nude on camera, young lady, because your <laughs> career is over. Sorry. Yeah. I don't mean to be smirched, the young woman. Yeah. She could have a golden globe. I wouldn't even know. I don't know. That was where I went with it. But you're, uh, I mean, regardless of the intent, you're not wrong. In, I, I mean, I, I really like that take because the next thing we see is 
you know, the halls of the FBI and Mulder walking by like a dead man. I mean, Frankenstein. He walks past Scully, this, this agent, this woman, this friend who he has had this amazing connection with, head down. She calls out to him. He doesn't even look up. Total Frankenstein mm-hmm. maneuver. Yeah. So he is like a dead man walking. That's what we see here. He gets to his desk. Mm, that's a good correlation. Plop. I didn't even make that one with the dead man on the table. Oh, I thought that's what you were trying to do. No, no, I, I was, but I was just saying almost metaphorically, like locked within his own mind are these ideas and beliefs that he can't substantiate, so to speak. But you bringing that in is, is great. I think together we're there. Cool. We broke that's, it. We won the X-Files. You want to hang up now? Yeah, that's it. <laughs> Cut, print. <laughs> oh, shit. Um, but he gets to his desk and um, picture face down on the desk and he mm-hmm. lifts it up and we see uh, Samantha, mm-hmm. his, his sister. And this uh, really pulls him in, and we come to find out this was a signal. Ah. Mm-hmm. Very cool. Also, also brought up in the chat, never in the goddamn history of the X-Files do we ever see Scully with her own desk. What the fuck? Mm. Yeah, she's probably... She- Mulder has a desk in a basement, and now, even after he gets basically fired, <laughs> sent upstairs, he's got another desk. This is government 101, basically. Not really fired. I mean, you know, just shift some papers around, and now you're heading up some forest department. Yeah. You know what I mean? Well. What do you think about this meeting place? (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, I just read the chat. Aaron Fallon says, (laughs) they're talking about how do you pass autopsy class? You just wrote your diplomas in the body. You just have. To find it, that's fucking funny as shit. <laughs> that's really good. <laughs> Holy shit, that caught me off guard. <laughs> You're just digging around the liver. Here it is. You rip it out. Well, uh, join us next time uh, live. We record all our episodes live at LibertyStreetGeek.net. Uh, that's fucking funny, man. So, yeah, listen, man. Um, he's a Frankenstein, but I do like the, what do you call this in the military? Signal something, right? Don't you, isn't there, is there a term for this? Term for what? Like intelligence and signaling. And is it just the catch all intelligence? Uh, well, signal something. Sigint. Okay. There you go. But but that refers to like, um, like actual signals, like communication signals. Okay. You're talking about like the actual physical, like. Correct. Placing, placing the. The picture down? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's not military. That's like that intelligence shit. Beyond, yeah, that's like that's shit that human, like human intelligence. Correct. That's Got it. The stuff that humans <clears throat> do to other humans. That's um, that is a very small part of the intelligence gathering. That's the sexiest part. That like we right. all want to like. Of, watch of course, of about. course. Signals intelligence. They're saying in the chat, maybe. Yeah. Um, I dig it. But uh, I'm sorry, I, I got distracted by the joke. So please rein <laughs> this in because I'm losing myself here. Well, well, here we are. We uh, we have this signal. We have a mm-hmm. um, not not a. I, I guess they had a preordained signal to if if this is done, then you meet at X spot, and X spot <laughs> very subtly is the Watergate Hotel. Hell yeah! <laughs> because I'm not a crook. Because why not? Yeah, dude. Hell yeah. <laughs> so they meet at the parking garage of the Watergate Hotel. Mm. Yeah. And uh, man, there's nothing but 
shadows and trench coats and shoulder pads. You got that for, right. For I all... mean, is Scully a middle linebacker? <laughs> They're getting out of control. Well, she's got a baby on board, so you got to block out that. Oh. You got to block out that bot. She's heavy with baby right here. Right, uh, right. Miss Anderson is uh, re- borderline ready to pop, and she will in a few episodes. Got it. So, so clever use of shadows. Yeah, you'll look. Um, you will notice throughout this episode, you never get anything but a very far obscured shot or like a close in, like neck up. Yeah, you can't. You can't explain that one away in the program. No. Right. Okay. So. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Good afternoon, Agent Mulder. Oh, wait, I'm sorry. Uh, $4 for the first hour of parking is criminal. So we get what I would like to call shades of Mulder here. He's trying to be funny. He's trying to be Mulder. That's that. That is how Mulder reacts, though. Like that's mm-hmm. a consistent character beat, right? Yep. In in times of adversity and borderline hopelessness, he he reacts with black humor. Something I can really appreciate. Absolutely. So he says, "You know, Mulder, from back there, you look like him, deep throat." Mm-hmm. Well, Mulder says he attended his funeral through eight powered binoculars from a thousand yards away. Okay, buddy. That's interesting. I mean, it's crazy, but mm-hmm. <clears throat> what that brought up when I was um, thinking about it, and I what was he doing? You think what was he doing? And also, uh, I'm trying to remember because I couldn't find it with a quick scan because we, we we get deep throat references later in the episode mm. or later in the in the series rather, up to and including the very last season, um, season eleven. Right or it was ten or eleven. There's a there's a deep throat um, scene, but I can't remember if we ever get more about his real identity, his name, because Mulder would have had to know it to go to his funeral or uh, to, to even see his funeral. Right? I mean, that's a actual human being. It didn't say deep throat on the tombstone, right? <laughs> <laughs> I hope. I hope not. <laughs> to be perfectly uh, frank, hmm. I mean, I don't want to be dead forever. Yeah, yeah, I but. Hope not. You know, I, uh, I I think that's a really good point. I'm not sure. He must have. Part of me wonders, was he just making sure he was like dead, dead? Like, is that him? I'm trying to, but I guess not. If he's already, if he's, if he's at the funeral and he's outside, the guy's already in the casket. There'd be weird to do open casket at the gravesite. <laughs> I think that works that way. Yeah, and they don't do a lot of that with, uh, oh, actually, no, he was shot in the chest, not the head. Right. Yeah. Michael Mann style. <laughs> All right, Karen in the chat says we see his grave in this. this With a capital that, T. Yeah, that's uh, that's season eleven, I think. Uh, O'Donny girl, oh dude, the chat's great. They know they know the show so much better than we do. <laughs> that's O'Donny girl, goddamn says, fact. <laughs> Ronald Pacula, ooh, cousin of Dracula, and 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 long lost uncle of uh, Scott Bacula. <laughs> 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 Sorry, we're fucking stupid. Wow. Um, yeah, really grasping at straws here. Hey, do any of you guys want to jump on the chat for about 10 minutes? Because I can go you know, take a piss and have a cigarette. <laughs> Since you guys probably know just, all the shit. Probably just turn this whole thing over. Um, well, yeah. So there we are. Here we so, are. yeah, he uh, he attended his funeral from 1,000 yards away with eight-power binoculars. Um, Mulder's really business-like here. He's really cold and weird to Scully. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. Right? You know, why did you contact me? He's all paranoid. And she's like, chill. Like, I, I followed the procedures. I did this because I wanted to talk to you because I'm worried about you. Yeah, he says something really cunty here. He says, it's dangerous for us to have a little chat. And saying a little chat is a bit demeaning, wouldn't you say? Uh, yeah. Mm. Yeah, also, um, it's a little demeaning. And uh, if you're really worried about it, maybe don't meet at the underground garage of the Watergate Hotel. Mm. If you're worried about looking suspicious and conspiratorial, how about a Starbucks? Mm-hmm. Well, other other people meet there. I mean, I guess I guess they're really trying to heighten up the fact that Deep Throat just got wasted. Yeah, and that I mean, I think that's I, I guess that's what we're kind of trying to think here is that you know they're they're trying to play up the fact that they think this is you know there's there is a mortal danger to them both. Mm. But but Mulder never really responds to mortal danger to himself in any kind of fearful way. Like that's not anything we ever see from Mulder. So, so I think, you know, if I'm going to try to interpret it through my own lens of these characters from the way I understand them, like Mulder is not afraid for his life. He's just kind of hopeless. Right? Uh, yeah. <clears throat> he, he, he's not worried about his life. He's worried about the lack of, of a path forward that he had before. I think he sucks at losing too. Yeah, he's a better little right? bitch. Because Mulder, because one of the things he says, these people are the best. And, and it's almost like he's saying it in a sense to where, right, I think it just is a pig pile on the hopelessness of, of himself. The Incredible Sulk. Mm. Yeah. It's because, like, well, look, I've taken all the precautions, right? And he's like, well, so why did you bother to come here covertly? Because I realized that it was the only way you would see me. So what do you want? To know that you're all right, like you said. I mean, dude, calm Yo, down. what do you want? Um, yeah, I'm your friend and partner of, you know, we've been through some real shit. Mm-hmm. Do you care about any of that anymore? Yeah. She she kind of calls him out. When when we got shut down, right, you said you'd go on for as long as the truth was out there, but I no longer feel that from you. And his response is, have you ever been to San Diego? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he talks about this guy, Hale. Yeah, the Palomar Observatory. Observatory, excuse me. Started by this guy who claimed that an elf came to him through his window. Mm, that's great. Okay, right. And Scully's trying to sort of lighten the mood here and be like, "Like, are you? Is that what you're worried your whole life? You've been seeing elves?" And he, and he goes, "This is where this is where you really rip off the tank top and, and the incredible sulk." Mm-hmm. Just rages. You know what? It all is starting to make perfect sense to me, Josh. In this moment, this episode has become genius. <laughs> Why? Because the incredible sulk is just a little green man. Little green man. <laughs> you like that shit, don't you? <laughs> he just shrinks into a small little a sack. Tiny man. little green man. <laughs> he doesn't grow like the Hulk of the Avengers. That Don't mo- make the, me the, sad. You yeah. won't like me when I'm sad. Well, I mean, sad. the dreadful irony is that the, the saddest person on the planet is Mark Ruffalo. He's so sad for the world on Twitter. <laughs> you know? So there is a bit of a connection here. But yeah, Mulder just kind of shrinks away to nothingness. The I little like green that. man. Yeah. With his impotent rage. <laughs> Sorry. Well, what we get here, though, is that at the end of the day, everything they went through, everything they 
they did, everything that we went through with them as viewers and saw in season one, at the end of the day, there's no X-Files and he has no real evidence. There's no solid evidence. And that's what's important. And he learned that from her, the need for something solid to show. And Scully, like, she's kind of taken aback by just how fucking dour he is. Right. And she she goes to a cornerstone of Mulder to try to kind of like, okay, like reestablish a grounding here and brings up Samantha. And when he I mean when he questions that, you're like, dude, where are you? Right. How how far down have you slipped when you're questioning the thing that we saw in the pilot, which you know, when Scully first kind of broke through to him, they're sitting in that motel and they talk about when he brings it up for the first time, like that is a cornerstone of his character. And when he questions that, you're like, dude, what is going on with him? You know, it's weird. If you were tasked with the, in the FBI with a special operations and you were told to investigate the strange goings on in the world, or at least in the purview of the United States. And would, I wonder, would part of you would part of you be fearful that some of this was true? Would you be hopeful that some of it's true? Would you hope that none of it's true? Do you know what I mean? So, like, I, I wonder. I just wonder to put yourselves. That's that's something I don't think we've ever really talked about too much. Not just we're watching us files, so we have the medicines to know that this is a lot of this stuff is in fact real and unexplained phenomenon. And then we've also taken the stance of, well, Mulder's this way, Scully's this way. But then I wonder, what is there a desire for that knowledge to be true or not true because of the fear associated with such a mind-blowing thing? You know, the, the idea that the government maintains the secrecy of this to keep order type of thing. Um, we can apply that to the, to the civil body at large, but to apply to individuals, even our own agents, I sometimes wonder if under truth serum, what they would say, like, do you, do you want it to be, or do you not want it to be? I would like to stick a pin in that, sir, because that's something I really want to talk about later on in this app with Mulder. Yeah. Specifically. That's who I'm thinking about here. Yep. Cause for him to question this whole thing is really weird. And that could just be one of the things you have to remember about anybody that goes incredible sulk and turns into a little green man. They are prone to say things that are nonsense and they're just emotional outbursts yeah right yeah that's what we're dealing like, with did you ever love me at all like come on i mean you, people say that but they don't really really they're not really wondering that question they're just hurting and they say such a thing it's possible Mulder's doing something along those lines yeah yeah but i i do like I said, I want to I want to bring that back yeah, up yeah, later. We'll There's something very specific where I didn't think about it until this viewing, where I'm like, that is a shocking re- response. So yeah, because because like just 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 to, to to further push that and to tease it, like if I said to you that vampires may or may not be real, you'd probably be like, I fucking hope they ain't. I mean, shit, dude. But then you might and be l- like, unless I could be a venture. Yeah. But then you're like, but wait a minute. Because we're pretty, we're cool to live forever. We're we're fucking right. That's a human way to be. Like anyway, we'll come back to it all. All right, Um, but they they part ways here. Mm -hmm. Scully says next time we we meet in person, and there's a uh, pretty like sharp cut back to a flashback here. Yeah, Um, 
Which fucking chill, Mac. Chill, Mac, dude. <laughs> which is uh, they're talking about uh, like Nixon, Watergate. Ironically, right? We come from the Watergate Hotel yeah. to actual Watergate affair. Also, on the radio, the, the chill mark thing is cute, right? Martha's Vineyard. That's where he's from. It's kind of oh, isn't that yeah? Isn't that crazy? And we know yeah. the governor likes the vineyard. Yeah, hmm. yeah. Hmm. Interesting. Uh, Sorry, didn't continue. Pick that one up. But it's um, we get young Fox and young Samantha. They're playing uh, one of my favorite board games of all time, Stratego. Oh, so, what a so great good. game that so is! Good. I haven't. Dude, I haven't played that for years. But Adani girl's asking us why we're not going to talk about Scully running her fingers through Mulder's hair. Well, oh, to yeah. be perfectly frank, I'm jealous. And I don't want to talk and, about that right now. And a little bit because he has a real shitty haircut in this episode. It's um, it's pretty plain Jane. I mean... This is this is like a my mom cut my haircut before I had to go back to school because I didn't have enough money <laughs> to go to Supercuts kind of haircut. Hey, Mulder, you going to make a fire? Huh? Gonna put some pebbles in a bottle of water to get the water up to where you can drink it. You do some boy scouting, pal. I don't know. What he's yeah, doing. yeah. I mean, there's an intimate moment here, but I'm at the end of the day, like the 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 intimacy of the moment is kind of like broken for me by by how much of a bitch Mulder's being. Mm-hmm. By how I mean, he gets so he gets so caught up in his own world and it's always Scully reaching out to him. Mm-hmm. It's always her trying to like pull him out when he gets really down and, and when he gets really high and he gets like off on these tangents, Scully is the steadying factor. We've talked about that many times. Like right. She is always the one that is there to, to pull him down when he's too high up to bring him up when he's too, too far down. And you know, but that, that human touch here is probably something that he desperately needed mm-hmm. and to be scully to cold be, rational and analytical as we say she is is still a million times more empathetic right. than our our good emotional fox Mulder. um also in this needs to be said his haircut is shitty and it's quite almost exactly like the incredible hulks okay <laughs> It's not purple, but it's close. If it had a little more of a fringe in the, and a little more of a Caesar cut to it, it would be goddamn identical. So that's my insight into your wonderful soliloquy. <laughs> this is how we're tying the X Files universe and the Marvel universe together. I because think Scully it's and Mulder will be connected. They're going to be in Civil War Two or whatever they call the next dumb one. Save the planet three. Yeah. Yeah. Well. So, sorry, O'Donnie girl. That's the best we got. But <laughs> I do like the moment. I just don't like, as uh, Aaron says, it's so unreciprocated. Exactly. Mm-hmm. This is not a shared moment. This is a Scully reaching out to Mulder moment. Well, sulk don't reciprocate. No. Anyway, we're, we're back to this flashback. Watergate right. stuff playing on the radio. Stratego playing young Fox and Sam and this whole thing, like this is the first time that we ever see an actual visualization of Samantha's abduction. Mm. Awesome. Um, yeah. I, I like their little dynamic here. It's, you know, I'm an only child, but from what I've seen in movies, <laughs> this is how siblings interact. <laughs> it seems complete. Uh, it's either like siblings either interact like this or from what I've seen in you porn, they just, <laughs> 
It's different. It's different. It's a different thing. <laughs> they seem quite fond of each other. <laughs> Very fond. <laughs> I like their, but but it, but like both scenarios, it often starts out with a light bantered fight. Yeah, you know, little, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Like, are you in my room? What the fuck? Next thing. Blah, 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 blah. <laughs> like, okay, well, that escalated quickly. That's and here a, it does too. It's a weird way to work out your problems there, brother and sister. Like uh, Cersei and Jamie Lannister. But I'm sorry. Um, things things start shaking. Lights are lights are going crazy. Um, very cool. Doorknob opening. This this bright white light. And th- this is cool because the a lot of what they do here is going to be repeated in Puerto Rico. Puerto Rico. Puerto Rico. Right? The 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 red blue very like, cool. strobing lights. The heavy shaking. Then the silence. Then the bright white light. And then the effect and the figure in the doorway. I mean this this is repeated. Almost exactly to the detail. Yeah. Towards the end of the episode. That's awesome. That's, and I tell you what, if fucking Daddy Longfingers is at my door, I would shit my pants. Oh, totally. That skinny long finger thing, I can't abide. <laughs> no. <laughs> that's that's some uh what do they call that? Um what what's the whole meme thing? The 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 Slender Man? Slender Man? Yeah. Ooh, God, that's yeah. a that's a nightmare. But Mulder awakens from his his recollection as Samantha's floating out the memory. Looks of, pretty damn uh, good. His window. It does look yeah, really good. Yeah, looks pretty damn good. Yeah, they got a little, uh, probably a little bit of a budget boost yeah. in season two. Wakes up in a cold sweat to a random guy who apparently has the keys to his apartment. We're going to the hill. I love the standing in the doorway, open the doorway all the way. All the way. Also, your clothes are too big for you. <laughs> You look it's, silly. It's, it's 94. It's the <laughs> That's style. That's true. It's their big clothes. They're all like, we feel bad for Julian Anderson. We're all going to wear double sizes here. <laughs> oh, all be, a, we're all going to oh, swim a, in our suits. It's a camaraderie thing. <laughs> oh, fuck. Well, Senator Matheson, listening to Bradenberg Concierto Number no. 2 by Johann Sebastian Bach. And it's glorious. I love this scene, man. It's fucking cool. This guy's great. I for, I, yeah, and I, I forgot, not forgot, but I just kind of, you know, just wasn't fresh in my memory, this this character. And it's such a cool thing, and it it lends credibility just to the to the show, to, to the existence of the X-Files, that, that Mulder would happen to have a powerful ally. And yeah, you can say what you want about the believability of that, but hey, it happens. You know, like, senators, congressmen get these little pet bugs, and they do personally like support something so why did this pet project of the x-files exist because a senator a goddamn united states senator one out of a hundred wanted it to happen and supported it and boosted it and Mulder, his reaction here that he he feels like he let this guy down one of the most powerful men in the country especially that he'll interact with in a given day yeah but just a very cool thing that 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 interaction is part of it. And, uh, and I just like the guy. I like math, Matheson, Matheson, Matheson. You're almost there. Madison, Matheson, Matheson, math, son, just throw an E in the middle. There's an E in there. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I like this Bach. Do you know the significance of this Fox? First name, first name basis. Yeah, I do. Actually, it's the first selection of music on the Voyager spacecraft. The first, 
first. Four and a half billion years from now, when the sun exhausts its fuel and swells to engulf the Earth, this expression will be out there, traveling four and a half billion years. That is, if it's not intercepted first. Imagine, Fox, if another civilization were to hear this, they wouldn't think, they would think, excuse me, quote, what a wonderful place this Earth must be, close quote. And, uh, Spoiler alert, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> it's if not a wonderful place. the aliens look at Twitter, I would expect a swift and fiery death. Take off, nuke the whole thing from orbit. It's the only way to be sure. Yep. <clears throat> but our, our senator here, he, he's poetic and beautiful about this. I mean, everything he said and then... He says, I would want this to be our first contact with another life form. Mm-hmm. Cool. Yeah, man. That's beautiful. And that's like a weird, a weird, believable thing I would think a senator would say who happened to have staked part of his reputation on this basement department of the X-Files. And uh, this is where Mulder really gets kind of personal about it. He puts his head down and yeah. he's, yep. he's, he's sorry. Affected. <clears throat> they were close, but... To, to what he's not really sure. Matheson does a little signaling, and he uh, he writes something down. Oh he no no no! Guy. He says he just makes a halting motion, right? And then he starts he's writing. Right? Do you like you like Bach, Mulder? I live Fox. for Bach. <laughs> <laughs> then let's hear it again. They may be listening. God, I love it. That's that's the kind of shit. That's we the love. shit right there. Playing it very loudly, right? This guy's like fucking Tony Soprano in in the uh, the fucking <laughs> the deli. <laughs> Turn up the music so I can talk. <laughs> oh, shit, that's funny. The feds are listening, but um, search for extra extraterrestrial radio signals. They shut it down because he's asking him of high resolution microwave survey. Yep, and that's what we heard in the very beginning, right? And he just tells him, he gives him a mission. He says, your mission, should you choose to accept it, is the radio telescope at Arecibo, Puerto Rico. I'll try to delay them as long as I can, but my guess is you'll have at least 24 hours. After that, I can no longer hold off the, wait for it, blue beret crash retrieval team. (laughs) And they've been authorized to use... Terminal, Terminal Force. Oh. Coming summer of 2019. Yeah. Terminal Force. <laughs> Which choir do I cut? Dude, dude, get the gun on him, man. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what that movie's about, but Terminal Force about, is funny. That's a little fox sauce right there. <laughs> Terminal? My guess is they had the script and Fox Sauce is like, listen. We don't like lethal anymore. We, we, yeah, we need, we need some like intense language and we need some action because when we get there, oh boy, that Blue Beret team. <laughs> Dude, they're, that they're is team. an afterthought. They're a team <laughs> in a that team. they are an assembled group of men with the same uniform, much like, say, a kid's soccer team is a team, technically speaking. I mean, I don't want to mince uh, words here or split hairs. But. Not good. Not good. Well, what am I looking for? Contact. As he slides in behind him, broke back style. Hey, I don't want to get weird about it, but is Senator Madison 
the kind of guy you'd expect to do that, like foot under the stall move at a truck stop? Easily. Yeah. But this guy. Not okay with it, but wants it. And it would be a truck stop, right? It would be, yeah. it would definitely be off of a major highway somewhere, probably 95 southbound heading towards Florida on the Northeast. I mean, uh, uh, on the East Coast. Because a senator can fly him in, you know. If he wants some some delicious, toasty young men, he can make that happen with a phone call. But Matheson, at this point, has got a very distinct taste. And uh, it's easier for him if there's basically a risk, suicide for his career. So he goes to the truck stop and he gets real risky. Because it's the only thing, Josh, that makes his heart beat anymore. (laughs) Cold dead heart. (laughs) is locking lips with a burly man that drives an 18-wheeler full of fucking toys down to Tallahassee. (laughs) That guy, he wants to mush face together with that guy because it's risky, right? A state trooper pulls him over. Oh, my God, Senator, right? That just makes him more excited. Don't ask me why I know anything about that. New Jersey Parkway. (laughs) Well, um... Sorry. We get, a, we get a little bit of a couple characters we have not gotten a ton of yet in the X-Files that you and I both love <sighs> as they will come to grow. We get some great Skinner here. Dude, and when is the so, last time we saw Skinner? Um, I feel like it's been 1,000 years. I think Mr. BP9000 sent me a note about this. This is, I think, the only second significant speaking scene with him. Damn. Only the second. I mean, he's appeared more than that, but... Um, and also, Cigarette Smoking Man. Mm. Yep. Not not a lot there either, so far. Mm. So, and there's this tape playing. Yeah. And I love I love Skinner in these early stages, and it's always cool to go back and watch it when, when he is a lot more... And, and that was one thing, I know we talked about it when we covered season 11, I like that they kind of brought that back, the not really sure where Skinner's loyalties lie. He's, you know, he's at such a high level and you kind of forget because you come to love him so much and he comes to be such a huge part of, of getting Mulder and Scully's back at critical times. But you forget that he's also often compromised by his, his loyalties and his position. And mm-hmm. and now his, this by his in, mortgage payment. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right. He's like, fuck. And really the end of this episode is the first time that he ever puts his ass on the line mm. for, for Mulder or Scully and Mulder in this case, but could he beat up the whole cast at once? Oh dude, easily. I think he could. He might have his hands easily. full of Scully. She fights dirty. Uh, She's dirty fighter. With those shoulder pads, but she's with she's with baby. She's gonna be moving a little bit slower. That's true. Maybe she's not in. She probably wouldn't be part of this particular battle royale. Yeah. Hmm. Well, but he's uh, he's playing an interview of him with Scully. He's asking her about Agent Mulder's location, mm-hmm. whereabouts, his intent. She doesn't know. And uh, Skinner believes smoking her. man. Yeah. Hmm. Why? Why does he believe her? Because he's certain that. If she knew, she wouldn't be so worried because Skinner can hear the worry. I like that. Me too. Very clever. And uh, she should be worried Mm -hmm. because Mulder is getting off a pickup truck in Puerto Rico. Puerto Rico. And you know, it's a problem with the Incredible Sulk is that much like the Incredible Hulk, when the sulking vanishes, his memory is a bit 
squirrely at best. So dingy. You could say he's not quite cognizant of what he's doing in these moments. Breaking into a government facility. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Uh, I don't know if they explicitly said who. I'm sure they did. I just don't remember if this was a NASA site because some of these were run by different agencies. But regardless, it shut down this um, this high res microwave survey facility down here in Arecibo. Um, it shut down. Mulder's walking up to the gate, and uh, he decides instead of you know he came all this way <laughs> and he has a set of bolt cutters, but. Apparently, he'd rather go on a, a, a vision quest right. through the jungle I guess. than, than cut, cut the goddamn chain on I that. I mean, this is such a white guy move. <laughs> it really is. <laughs> Wicked is. I mean, if you're going to cut your way into the facility, like, what's the deal with the gate? You're worried about you need, you need to go everybody on a- <laughs> driving by on that dirt road up at the top of the mountain? <laughs> you need to go on a nature stroll? <laughs> Whitey? Yeah. Come but- on, dude. Cut the gate. I'm going to tell you something right here, pal. Go. This uh, this next scene was an inspiration for young young Joshua. That's good to know. You when know, Mulder busts out that little mini tape recorder, and he starts talking into it, oh. and giving his observations. I am not lying. I bought one of those things I, in a bunch of tapes, and I would record myself making observations. <laughs> Mom made about me broccoli tonight. I hate nothing. her guts. <laughs> about nothing. Right, I would, right, right. Dude, I would, I'm not, dude, I'm not even fucking kidding you. And I was probably too old for this. I was like 12, 11, 12. I would go outside my house. We lived like way out in the woods. Right. I would take my little tape recorder. I'd dress up all in black. And like, mm-hmm. I'd be like, oh, I'm just going to go outside for a bit. And I would like prowl around at the edge of the woods looking at the house like it was a facility I was going to break into. I like it. And I'd be like... I'd be like, the residents appear to have two canines. I'm going to have to exercise caution. And then I like, should the have dog brought a come over house sniff, with me. <laughs> sniff me. And I'd be like, you're ruining it, Atticus. Go away. Your mom literally steps out on the porch and hits you right in the face with a flashlight beam and goes, Josh, it's time for supper. And you're like, God, how was my cover already blown? Mom, I'm breaking into the NASA Mom, I'm facility. being stealthy. No, no, you're right there, actually. <laughs> That's amazing. Uh, man. <laughs> hey, yeah. we all did dumb shit. It's a real thing. I mean, it's adorable, but let's go. Um, mm. Ooh, ooh, good reference from Elzar in the chat. Ellie Arroway from Contact. Ooh. Remember that movie that you shit all over in the science fiction film? <laughs> all right, all right, all right. I'm a fucking preacher. Yeah. That guy? I love that guy. Yeah. That guy rules. <laughs> um, has Puerto Rico not had power since this this episode because they always have power grid issues too soon ah sorry love you guys but um, um yeah is Manuel made to listen to this show I don't think he does that son of a bitch he should I hope he, he loses should. power again just kidding <laughs> <laughs> I mean I'm not saying get a hurricane I'm just saying lose power for a couple hours keep you on your toes oh boy. make you appreciate X-Files podcast a little more <laughs> when you can't have it <laughs> Sooner or later, our elected officials will realize that you are, in fact, part of the United States. <laughs> Maybe. Apparently, Maybe. this predates the current administration. But, uh, yeah, he, um, he uses the bolt cutters, finally, gets into the facility, yeah. and uh, he's talking about what he's seeing here. Power's off. The control lights appear to be on the equipment. No signs of recent occupation. There's a heavy scent of mildew in the air. No one appears to 
in here. There's a stale odor. Mulder, stop it. What are you, a dungeon master? Come on. You step into the into the foyer. There's a, there's a heavy mildew. There's signs of bones in the corner, and a few copper pieces litter the stone floor. At the far edge of the 20 by 20 stone room is an altar that has very odd hieroglyphics and runes on it. Suddenly, a scurrying descends from a chimney, and a gelatinous cube emerges, <laughs> roll initiative. And gasp, a Puerto Rican man happens to. <laughs> well, no, 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 no. Is that what I'm saying? Just saying you were startled. Okay. They do not appear in the Monster's Manual, you racists. Well, uh, yeah, Mulder... What's this? Because Mulder's so uh, so sad that he thinks he's gonna get killed, and the evidence will be behind, and he'll be ex- like, you know, avenged or something. Yeah, this know. is this is E Mulder, E Mulder, Mulder. I like E Mulder. I like E Mulder. E Mulder. E Mulder strong. <laughs> nice. Okay, we'll go with that. Um, um, what is cool here? What the one thing I I the thing not the one thing the the thing I dig the most is those tapes whirring. <sighs> Like they they've just run out of steam. They've they've recorded everything. Something is something is happening. Yeah. And um, what's in the bathroom? Well, we don't see that yet. We get a little cut back to Scully in Mulder's apartment. (laughs) This is good shit, dude. Scully. uh, Her. I tell you uh, what. Her espionage game is getting airtight. Yeah, she's cracking passwords, walking around willy nilly in in, in high level facilities. Stumbles across a um, an, a very irate message from Mulder's escort service, who informs him that even though he blew off the lunch date, he will still be charged for the full hour. <laughs> and, um, she hacks into his uh, his 1994 computer. I'm going to tell trust- you right now. <laughs> you're taking your precious well, Scully. I mean, precious sensibilities into your own hands when you start going on Mulder's computer. <laughs> I mean... I mean, it's early, but... Not too early for that one. Still probably thumbnails at the at the, yeah. at the minimum. Yeah, absolutely. And then when you go in his drawers, I'm just like, oh boy. She's lucky. The only thing she stumbles upon is some galactic latitude. <laughs> <laughs> May I ask what you're doing here, Agent Scully? Can I ask what you're doing here? I love that she says that. Are you following me? <laughs> Did you break into an agent's house? Because I'm fishing. I got the keys. <laughs> Mulder is a friend of mine. I'm feeding his fish. Mm-hmm. Um, I like that they bag her in the act, and I like that they make her. She thinks quick and she reacts well, but she's not perfect, right? Right. We, we talked about this last, in the finale yeah, of season, season one, yeah. right? Like she doesn't grab the paper in time, right? But you know, and the the other agent's kind of a bumbling idiot. Like, oh, like it must be a a printer self test. And I get it, man. I can barely close the laptop when mom walks in, so it's like <laughs> you get a little tense in that moment. So I but don't fault a, her for this. The move she does with the fish food and like the spilling the extra fish food, and that yeah. would be bad for the fish. <laughs> she grabs the paper, clever, like scrapes it, does the old sleeve tuck. I like a it. A little clever sleight of hand. Yep, I like it. And I like that it's a very minor thing, but they make it more significant because it's a, you know, she's not, you know, born. Yeah. She's 
she's Scully. She's Scully. Like that's a that's kind of a big deal mm-hmm. to pull off a move like that in front of two surveillance agents. Yeah. That's that's cool. Now um, you can get back to your Puerto Rican random encounter. Ah, oh, yes, nothing like it. But in this particular scene, back at the National Astronomy and Ionosphere Center in Arecibo, Puerto Rico. Donde el baño? Yes. No me. Last to me. No me. Right? Don't hurt me. Don't hurt me. Who are you? What are you doing here? Por favor. No me. Right? He's going off and saying, please don't hurt me. I have a lot of fear. He's very afraid. Um, m- m- I, dig that, I dig that they don't use subtitles. Me too. too. Muller's trying to calm him down. My Spanish is terrible, by the way. Yeah, real bad. Tenemos que irnos aquí or something, right? Something about leaving. Something here, something sky, something blue. That's about what I got. <laughs> <laughs> Mulder's like, no, Los hombres pequeños yeah. verdes, little green men. Me llamo Jorge. Um, and uh, he says, why are you so afraid? And that's when he says, like you said, he's, he's talking about, um, yeah, sky... He's saying like red, orange, and shit. Um, and he draws that yikes alien face. Yep, como animales, no. right? Like animals. That's awesome. Yeah. Oh shit! Yeah. <laughs> oh man, animal man. That's awesome. Am I on the island of Doctor Moreau? <laughs> God damn, that's cool. Como animales. Yeah. This this whole. Uh, Good old Jorge here, man. Like he's he's very tropey. Like, all right, we're gonna use the the random like, all right, the Latino guy who's scared of the devil in the sky, like trope. But um, <laughs> I mean, he is. It, right? It's played for good like tension. I mean, <laughs> say what you want about it, but he's like Jorge. No, no, no. That is just an aeroplane. <laughs> how how you say aeroplane? <laughs> and uh, we get back to Scully talking to this nerd. Yeah. About the wow signal. Oh, right. Ah. The wow. All right. I need a little help understanding what the fuck this guy was talking about. Can you help me with this? Yeah, I think a little bit. So he, she's like, she needs some help too. And he talks about this buddy his, this other scientist who. Jerry. And got this signal. um, And I forgot what facility he's working at, but. It was 30 times louder than galactic background noise. It was intermittent, like Morse code, not randomly, but deliberately. And it only seemed to turn on when the beam of the satellite ah, was facing it. it. Got it, got it. That seemed, up till now, this was the best example of the potential for any kind of evidence of extraterrestrial intelligence. This, pointing at the, the fish flake paper. Got it. This is better. Badass. Where did you get this? Well. Scully doesn't know. University of Ohio, I think. That's where it came from? Correct. The original one? The wow signal? Yep. Um, Uh, Scully doesn't know. Right. Because she says, is that from Ohio State? And he says he can't tell. There are a few nickel and dime SETI projects around UC Berkeley. Has one. The Planetary Society has one in Harvard. And in Argentina. And that's when he says, well, NASA... Was working on one in Goldstone in California, in Arecibo in Puerto Rico. <laughs> so, um, clever, the hail thing, right? In the next scene, is that is that what I'm supposed to be looking at? Yeah, Scully looking at the flight manifest, right? 
Yeah. So, and all, all those names are apparently um, that's a little Easter egg um, from BP nine thousand. That those are all names of X Files fans who have like interacted with the show up to this point. So Chris Carter, like those, that all those manifests are like X Files fans. Oh, right and, on. <clears throat> which is cool because at the beginning of the app isn't the thing something Hale. Yes, but George Hale, right? All those other names on the list, but George Hale, that's the elf guy. Oh, right on. Okay, that's what I thought. That's, yeah. This is old elf through the window, dude. Perfect. And So that's like a, a deliberate way, trail for her. You would think it's, it's a little bit of a breadcrumb for her. Because he's, at because, times he's talking to her in the microphone. Yeah. Yeah, yeah he's saying Scully. Right. You know, if, if anybody's going to end up picking up his trail, I'm not sure that he believes she'll be this hot on his trail. Right. But he's hoping that eventually, you know, if if he doesn't return, that she will be the one that digs out where he went and perhaps finds this evidence that right. he uh, is looking for. So right on, there he is, and uh, we get back to him and the old no ho on the roho. Jesus, people were digging on this shit in the old <laughs> Facebook page. I, I love it. <laughs> you know, and I'm not gonna lie, I didn't. Uh, I don't think I like ever. It didn't stick with me as much, but now I think it's going to. No ho on the rojo. No ho on the romo. Rojo. <laughs> romo, too. Which, which is uh, obviously not Spanish. Rojo is red. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> um, but who said, uh, let me try to find it here real quick. Um, man, a lot of people reference it. Who said uh, Danielle Cutter? Um, yeah, yep. She says, the anytime phrase, anything no happened, we'd bust out. Yeah, right, that that yeah. stuff. Yeah, I like that. I still use it whenever I'm trying not to swear about things in the public. In public. <laughs> <laughs> no ho in the rojo. That's funny. Yeah, people I put like up it. like fucking memes of it. Ben put up a meme of it. Yeah. Good shit. So, yeah, no, Jorge, no ho in the rojo. Um, the point of origin, he, he's talking, right, this whole time. Mulder's talking, giving his observations. He's looking at these printouts, and it's this, it's contact, but the point of origin is close. It's very close. Like this is not, it might be extraterrestrial origin, but it is not an extraterrestrial signal as in a signal that's originating from outside of earth. This is the signal is coming from very close. Yep. How a satellite facility designed to search the deep interstellar expanse is picking that up. We don't know. doesn't matter. It's cool. Yep. Because then the audio kicks on with that Voyager shit. <sighs> and that is an awesome. I send greetings on behalf of the planet, of the people of our planet. Right? Boop, 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 yeah, he, he, he determines this because of it, because of it is a wide band frequency. Pretty cool. So they're just, he figures out the, the distance based on the, the width of the band. Yeah. All right. And then Jorge. Soneos. Or whatever you say. Mios tios. They're back. Los diablos. They're, they're back. They're back. Um, <laughs> it's just a tape machine, Jorge. Surely they have those in Puerto Rico. <laughs> Mulder, you're being insensitive. That's not what he's talking about. Just don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Jorge <laughs> is... Vamanos. Uh, Let's go, baby. <laughs> Vamos. He is scared of shit. And he runs out into the storm, stormy jungle. He does. Don't be afraid, Mulder. Jorge. It's not a sky god. Don't be afraid. Oh, wait. I found you in a fearful death Whoops. boat. <laughs> so. Fuck. So probably be afraid. Yeah. Good call. Also, why are you pushing buttons, Jorge? Are you a child? <laughs> 
well, he's a simple Latino man, dude, and they don't understand technology yeah. or, or the white man's way. Like, it's so outrageous. <laughs> like, yeah. this is Puerto Rico, not an island where they kill you with bows if you get too close. Like, <laughs> come on, man. <laughs> what the fuck? He's not a child, and he's not a goddamn savage. Puerto Rico. This guy might, you know, in ten years later, he might work for like a like a startup company, like a he has like internet startup uh, yeah, company. He drove a Mercedes to work. <laughs> he doesn't just push buttons. He's like, oh, this uh, this this tower with the flashing flashing lights and the shiny multicolored knobs. God, it's so outrageous. Yeah. Anyway. Is. Enough of my bullshit. So, as he walks forward, something gets his eyes, spins his left, sees Concepcion dead. Back to Miami International Airport. Yeah, you want to talk about some espionage? Let's get Dude, into it here. You are about to get bluffed. Because Scully is working that counter counter surveillance. Yeah, man. That's the shit. Uh, woman on the PA system, please proceed immediately to gate 16. Um, she repeats it in Spanish, and then uh, Scully takes out a little mirror and starts applying makeup, a new little sneaky looks, right? Yeah. Very cool. Ma- makeup behind the, uh, over the shoulder, and then the uh, approach to the airline desk, she sees uh, a couple, a apparent couple, mm-hmm. seemingly uh, attempting to follow her. The yep. man has an earpiece dangling from his ear in 1994. That's a lot more uh, odd than it would be nowadays, <laughs> sure. which would be very commonplace. But she does a nice little pump fake here, and makes a move over to the payphone, and calls Mulder's phone. She does. And uh, she says, CA 519-705-950. I believe she's saying it's a it's a flight number. A flight number, yep. To uh St. Croix. Mm-hmm. And we don't know that immediately. That's a cool little what the hell is going on? What kind of code is she giving? Because we see these agents that we'd previously previously seen that are literally in Mulder's apartment writing this down. Yeah, those fucking guys are still there, creeps. And within moments <laughs> we see this uh the quote unquote husband, right? of this fake couple that's surveilling her mm-hmm. get, get the message of the old finger to the ear. Listen. And, uh, she does another fake call. She's just, you know, checking that, uh, that weird, when you, at the sound of the tone, the time will be yeah, yeah, yeah. blah, 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 blah. Uh, but she uses this as a, another fake out misdirection. To, yep. Ditch her surveillance. Get out of there. They say, don't worry about it. We know where she's going. St. Croix, this flight time, Dum-dums. blah, blah, blah. And uh, she jets, and she's upstairs looking down. Yep. And then, only then, does she go and buy her flight. Because she's a thorough woman. She's a pro. Buy her flight for the the remote, little-known island of Puerto Rico. Someone. Where the savages live. I guess. I guess that's technology a, is foreign. Where we just push buttons when we're scared to death. <laughs> Fucking stupid. <laughs> well, back to Arecibo. Uh, Jorge's kind of just dead on the table. Mulder's like, I don't know what I'm doing. Not really a pathologist, but I'm going to make observations about this body before decomposition obscures forensic evidence. Thank you. I want you, Trini Martin, 
I know you're more of a tactile agent, but there will be times when you're going to be the one on scene with a dead body. You're going to have to make some uh, make some appraisals about the cause of death for immediate uh, action. I want you to run run me through how you would. Uh, what are the most important procedures you're going to follow on uh, that deceased body? Absolutely, I think I think the best thing to do is to intimately touch his arm and feet. <laughs> I think I should intimately touch his little feetsies with a, a sly little tickle. I mean, is, is Duchovny trying to fuck with this guy? I mean, the actor had to be slightly aroused. I mean, they're, they're quite, they're, they're, I mean, Don lovingly, Juan DeMarco himself could not do a lighter and more tantalizing brushing of the fingers across flesh. All right. Well, Trini Martin, that's excellent because in, there is no other way to assess whether um, the victim in question does have uh, electrical burns or um, any signs of, of probes or puncture wounds. Uh, uh, as- Trini Martin, why are you pulling out the man's penis? <laughs> well, that's next, right? <laughs> I see you are rubbing your, mm. your hands up his calves and... <laughs> Along his inner thighs. <laughs> I assume you're checking for wounds in the femoral artery. <laughs> and now you have his <laughs> cock in your hand. This is, I got to be honest with you, this is uh, unorthodox, to say the least. Yeah. I don't know what he's well, doing. He's, he's quite intimate leaving, with Jorge. Leaving some info for Scully. Yeah. Well. Oh, uh, Yeah. <clears throat> But that's uh, that's what we're saying here is that there's basically uh, it appears as if he was frightened to death. Yikes! Okay, that's not good. <laughs> right. Is that a thing? Also, not very medical. Yeah. <laughs> is that a thing? I mean, <laughs> I, I know Mulder already said, "Hey, not a pathologist, drink." Clearly, but, you're not. Uh, I think this guy got scared to death. <laughs> is he 93 <laughs> on a roller coaster? Because and I and I know this because. He's fully clothed, so I've not even checked his body nor any internal signs for anything at all. Oof. Guy could have had a heart attack. Ah, frightened to death. Yeah, I guess. Right. He does have signs of goose flesh. Yeah. So which, apparently you're watching Game of Thrones. I just got to say, that's a George R. R. Martin specialty. <laughs> but but Rigor Mortis, uh, having said, in a little less than an hour after, had a, after an hour had elapsed or something like this. L- less than a half hour. Yeah. Oh, that right, is, right. That is unusual. Cadaveric sure. spasm. Mm. <laughs> Don't know about that one. Quit tickling his feet. Might not spasm so much. All right. And shitting on Mulder's uh, pathology aside, I really dig. And here's this whole thing I want to get into. I'm very interested what you think about Mulder's doubt here. Mm. He talks about the printouts, this uh, apparent sign of contact with another life form, but he questions it. Is this just some, is it just a classified military satellite? Is it some wild goose chase he's here? Or an he, elaborate he, joke played by those who want to believe. Yes. He doubts what he's seen. Yeah. He talks about how it, it's worn him down. Mm-hmm. He doubts even what he knows is true. He can only trust her, Scully, and they've taken her away from him. His whole life has been about the need to see Samantha uh, again, but he has doubts about what he would do if he did and if he saw them and what, what, what he would do if, if it happened. And then it happens, right? Mm-hmm. We, we basically get a 
the uh, the same effects we had in the flashback. Okay, the the rumbling starts, the red and blue lights through the window, <clears throat> increasingly shaking, and then heavy cut off, and then that bright white overwhelming light, and then the seemingly supernatural, like the the door lock sliding open, the door opening, and Mulder. After everything he just said, that's already in your mind. He goes for his pistol and just immediately starts trying to fire. Yeah, and, and fire and, and, fire towards what is clearly, from what we think, a supernatural event and or alien contact. He begins by barring the door, right? Yes, I'm sorry, I skipped right over. Yeah, that. that's yeah. okay. And I think that's an important distinction because I think the Mulder of old, or the Mulder, I think a. I think a Mulder in the right headspace charges forward just to see it. Part of me thinks that, right? Versus yeah. withdrawing into... Um, but yeah, then he's... there's He's working some stuff out here when he's just dry-firing his pistol. Clearly, it's been rendered inert by this power. That's not normal. No. Um, I do like that he actually does some like remedial action on yeah, the pistol. Yeah, that's I cool. Mean, he's checking it. Yeah, like he he fucking you know racks around out, takes out the mag, looks dead, at it, yep. puts it back in. Yeah, Very cool. That's kind of cool. Yeah. But <clears throat> what do you think about this man? Like, what is what do you think about his his level of doubt in the midst of in the midst of the most obvious interaction he's ever had with what appears to be an extraterrestrial? And his reaction to it, like fearful and defensive, mm-hmm. and and. What what what's going on here, man? Like, what what do you think is this consistent with what we've seen with Mulder? Here's what I like think that- might be going on here. This might be, and, and and I'm gonna be, I'm being a bit glib here, but I think this is um, our first case of identity politics, but not really politics. It's it's your belief, your belief in a thing is essentially the way you have constructed your identity around that thing. And when that thing becomes questioned, it starts to really impact your entire identity and it sends you into a tailspin, right? Like a lot of people have built their lives around an idea. And when you challenge the idea, they start to really unravel because they haven't really diversified their portfolio of ideas and possibilities, if that makes sense. Um. And I think what we're seeing here is a very deep emotional reaction to that. Uh, Not being a psychologist, drink, it's hard for me to exactly say, but I think that's the beginning of where I believe there's an unraveling here. And then it almost becomes a, the the fear on, on directly confronting him, it makes me think, is he afraid on some level that he's gonna go out there and it is some sort of hoax? Um, and if that's the case, is that going to plunge him further into this, who even am I? Because I think that's kind of what's happening with Mulder. Who even am I? If if what I am is this person that's going after this one thing and one thing only that continuously eludes and disappoints me, at least as far as he's concerned right now. Even if though, Even though we know that's not necessarily the case having seen the show, but we can sit in our little... Uh, ivory tower <laughs> and not be subject to the same emotions he is because we see it more clearer, right? Yeah. But I think there is a truth in this, um, in a nutshell, to, to sort of make that less convoluted. I think Mulder's identity is so tied up in these beliefs that when these beliefs come into question, 
it makes him start to question his own identity in a sense. Because so much of Mulder is his ideas of the supernatural, so to speak, or aliens. Take your pick. I like that. I like that. Yeah. So ultimately, I mean, you do, you do feel it's, at the end of the day, consistent with his character that we, we've seen before? I think it's consistent. Be, because of... Because of the events that happened to him of late. Uh, yeah, you know, the, of late. Yeah. yeah, I think it shows a level. And, and I think this is what I was getting at when I said, this is the meat of the episode, this Mulder stuff right here. And it's and it's that. It's this idea that an elaborate hoax, like he gets mad at the very prospect of that. Because let's just, let's just for fun say that Christianity is an elaborate hoax. Yet people have put their entire identity around this thing. You know, I'm not talking about casual people. I'm talking about really hardcore people. And, and, and to realize suddenly that this may be a joke is really going to be devastating to you. Now, that might not be a necessarily fair comparison because your entire ethical framework is built around a lot of this if you are really hardcore. Like say a, say, say a, say a like, like dyed-in-the-wool priest, right? I, I think... I'm trying to layman's terms or I'm trying to metaphorically compare like something like this, like all of this stuff in, in Mulder, his, his, and it's not just his professional career. Cause this started when he was a kid, as we've just seen in this episode, we know this so much of his life has been around this stuff. And, and when you even begin to doubt that encounter, which you and I witnessed to you, you're really, your mind is, you, you have, you're losing the faith, so to speak, to, to continue the, the church metaphor, right? And, um, and I think it is, and I think because so much of Mulder is this thing that it makes sense to me that he would begin to unravel and maybe even act unpredictably. So yeah, I kind of dig it, man. I guess is my point. I, I think that's what makes I, the episode cool to me. Yeah. I like your take on it. I do. I like that a lot. I, I, I thought a lot, I thought some of that in a similar, very similar vein. And then like another, Another kind of angle on it that I kind of took in my head was maybe that the fact that on top of all that, he also, he's always had this quest, right, for the truth. Sure. That he's questioning it and everything like that. And then it gets real. And it gets real very quick. Very quick after he was questioning everything. And this body is there. And suddenly this, like, you know, I've been searching for the truth and, hmm. you know, th- these, these extraterrestrials and wanting this kind of contact with a real kind of mortal human reaction of like, uh, uh are these things that I even want to like meet? Uh, th- Jorge's dead. This goes back to the, to, the vampire thing we were talking about a little earlier, right? Yeah. yeah. Appeared to have died of fright. This v- finally Mulder has, we've, we've seen him react, uh, I would say bravely, but almost in the past, we've seen him act in a way that's almost without concern for his own well-being. Mm-hmm. And here we have him kind of like not do that. We have him face this thing and react with a, this might be a threat and I'm going to try to fight it if I need to, even though, even though maybe it's this truth or maybe it's an answer to this thing I'm seeking. He kind of has this, has this immediate, very human reaction of like, I'm going to go for my weapon and fire into the doorway of whatever this 
entity is that's coming. I in. like this. I like the temporal approach here, right? Stuff of of physicality. Yeah, um, I like it because I, I I like the idea too of of truth of the capital. And I won't go off on this tangent, but there's also this possibility, and, and I want to come right back to the pistol thing. This idea of the truth almost being relative, which will send a lot of scientists into a tizzy, but but make many philosophers hard. <laughs> I don't think I don't think Mulder's quite at the relative truth like conflict in his own mind. I like what you're saying though. I like the idea that there there could be a reaching for the I, I think perhaps perhaps we can combine our our thoughts into a cohesive um, interpretation, and that's the temporal piece of what you're saying, and then the metaphorical piece of what I'm saying could possibly be combined. And here's how we're going to do that: we're going to say the the the, the visceral reaction, truth with a capital T, could kill you today, and it's suddenly becoming a real thing to you as you sit in a room with a corpse by yourself, and you are alone, and Scully's not at your side, and fear begins to enter your mind, and your survival instinct comes into it. And then at the same time, it's also part of me doesn't want to be confronted. So that's your point, the large point, which I love. And then throw in my my fucking metaphysical nonsense, which is like he's also perhaps recoiling from truth, capital T, because he's in this crisis of faith and he maybe mentally isn't prepared to deal with it. So it's almost like he's battling the possible truth, capital T, and also his mortality because of his state of mind and the fact that it's attacking him. You know what I mean? It's like you're pushing away the fear of death and the fear of truth all in one go. Yep. And those are both very cool things for his character to, to kind of go through. By the way, um, it's really warm in my own ass. Is it warm in yours? It's hot. It's really getting up there. Yeah. I mean, I'm sweating. It's like a sauna. You know what I'd like to do? I would like to sit down Chris Carter and tell him what his yeah. show is about. Chris, listen, pal. Here's, he's like, Jesus Christ, guys. I just thought he was scared because there was a corpse in the room. There's <laughs> a fucking, fucking scary alien coming in the window. What the fuck do you expect? It's a fucking alien, dude. You don't think he watched aliens? <laughs> no, I like it, though. I like it. That it's you know, it's a big moment. It may be the biggest moment in the episode, so it's... And I think it's cool that you can interpret it different ways. Yeah, it's but. good. To, it's fun to talk about. And it's, and you know, what, what, what people, if it's not clear at this point, Jesus Christ, listener, that so much of, so much of my personal, one of the things I love about podcasting in general is just this idea of discussing and brainstorming on the fly. You know, I don't, I, I, that's, that's kind of how I enter this thing. You know, I enter it going, I'm really curious about Josh's interpretation of this, and I'm curious to flesh my own out as we go, and we kind of just riff back and forth, right? Like like music, so to speak. And wow, it's now boiling in my own ass, okay? I, I'm retreating immediately. Are you, are you comparing my, us to like a jazz fusion duo? I'm just saying that, there's Mo and Better Blues, and then there's us, Okay. <laughs> okay, well, let's let's work on our jazz names in a little oh, bit. Hell yeah, dude! But uh, anyway, <clears throat> now that uh, now that we're past that, can we talk about um, boy some of the worst the worst boy. doctoring that we've ever seen from Scully? <laughs> when a medical professional goes, a medical doctor says, "Mulder, I was sure you were dead." Were you? Really? Are you, you sure? Were sure? <laughs> Did he have a pulse? 
What did you? What was do you he mean? blue or ashy? <laughs> Are you positive? Yeah. Yeah, because that, that's where we go. We go right from that scene to uh, Mulder awakening to Scully. And uh, there is now a new threat. And, and it's, it's, not, far, it's not Daddy Longfingers. <laughs> it's far more nefarious than the Slender Man. It is dun, dun, dun. Uh-oh. The Blue Beret Crash Retrieval Team. Dude, moving out. Average age 46. (laughs) Moving out with the (laughs) loudest five ton ever, which shakes the building from a quarter mile away. Is that a tiger tank? (laughs) (laughs) I see tiger (laughs) tanks, two of them. Panzer tanks, two Uh, of them. Infantry. uh, 40 millimeters killing us. Um, Mulder's freaking out. They need to get some evidence. He knows. He knows, Dean. Blue Beret team, they're cleared for terminal force. Yeah. Terminal, not bro. good. I mean, aviators. I mean, Scully's like, there's no time to grab those papers you're holding. <laughs> there's no time, Mulder. <laughs> All right, Scully, the body, uh, the body. You're right. He's holding the papers. Just grab the papers. <laughs> Just run out the door with them. Mm-hmm. But all he gets is the um, the old audio tape, and they and just uh, are all. I mean, dude. these guys love Die Hard because they are all styre ogged out. No, you know what they love even more than that? What's that? The Rock. <laughs> <laughs> the dude, Urban Camo dude, in the aviator in the jungle, ever brand new, <laughs> brand new black tactical gear from Army Navy, nineteen ninety nine, never been used. It's brand new. It's nice. The only thing more expensive than the firearm is the is the aviators, the the Ray Bans. These guys, these guys are they're all the ones that didn't make the audition for that that big shootout scene in in The Rock. Mm-hmm. This may I mean, come as a shock to you, but their muzzle safety is all out of whack. <laughs> I know you're going to find this hard to believe when they swing their fucking the muzzles around at each other's faces. Willing like literally because, muzzles uh, pointed at assholes as guys climb back into the truck. Yeesh. And I know this this shocks you. You probably didn't pick up on it, <laughs> but they're not actually the weapons aren't actually firing Ugh. live blank rounds. I, you probably couldn't notice because it looked extremely authentic. <laughs> yeah, but they were in fact shaking the guns in their hands and saying "bang bang." Yeah, you can't tell. Can't tell. But and uh, then we get as uh, ruthless Ruth Bales pointed out um, the commando truck chase. Uh, this is. <laughs> I mean, this is shades of L.A. Freeway, white Bronco, O.J. Simpson stuff. <laughs> I mean, did he just murder his wife? He's it is. he's moving. Really something here. Really something. Hey, this is some stunt driving, dude. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. they. Um, I mean, did he drive all the him. way to America? Back to mainland America? Blue Beret team. All right. I mean, that sounds like super... Exclusive. You guys don't have a helicopter? No. You got to take a truck up a mountain? Yeah. Do you know how much it costs for an embroidered patch that size to be (laughs) sewn onto a beret? I mean, it just put the helicopter right out of the budget of the the possibility of making budget. I love the urban camo. Love it. So dumb. (laughs) The jungle. The real bulky vest. Like, uh, I mean. The, The berets in a tactical combat environment oh Dude. god it's so good <laughs> you gonna i mean uh, yeah i like it i like it mm-hmm. 
They get out of there, though. Shockingly. They make it out. Yep. And uh, it's time for Mulder to get a little piece of the ass mm. from one Walter S. Skinner. Yeah. Lays into him. You left your offsite seat. <laughs> I like that. That's <laughs> awesome. <laughs> Censure, transfer, suspension, probation. Great. Um, he's like, look, you left your office set up. Another brick agent had to cover your ass. The entire surveillance, all the months of work on this case gone. And uh, Mo's like, uh, but I had enough on that surveillance to arrest those suspects after three days. I could have nailed them on 40 counts of bank fraud, but you left me there. I'm surprised you even noticed I was gone. Oh, for fuck's sake, Mulder. <laughs> that's that's incredible sulky. That's E. Mulder. E. Mulder for sure. E. Mulder. Um, but I do, I mean, I kind of like what he's saying here, is that Mulder's not an idiot. Not only that, he's borderline a goddamn genius. He, he's aware that he's on a completely throwaway assignment. Mm-hmm. That, that he had the case on, he, he did his job in three days, and they left him there for a month. Yeah. So, yeah, you know, at one, one side of it, shut up and do your job. But at the other end, <clears throat> okay, you're aware that you're basically just being stuck in a corner. And when he brings up the illegal wiretap of his apartment, that's what really shakes Skinner's bushes, huh? Hell yeah. But, you, gotta, you know, there is, you're telling me there ain't one fucking dirty hick in West Virginia strangling runaways that you can put Mulder on. Well, but that's not what they put him no, on. No. <laughs> I'm just being a douche. <laughs> secondly, secondly, you know Mulder's never been about solving crimes. <laughs> Except as if his name's Monty Props. <laughs> We're not that kind of... You get one. <laughs> you get one. That's your career highlight, by the way. Goddamn, Mulder. <laughs> well, yeah, it does. It does... Uh, what was your expression about Skinner? Skinner's bush? Uh, rattled his bush? All right. I'm into that. I think. Yeah. I think you could say it rattled his bush. That's uh I don't think that's the right euphemism or expression I was looking for, but mm. it causes uh Skinner takes a long look. Mm. And uh cigarette smoking man steps in here and just kind of random randomly menacingly says, Your time is over and you leave with nothing. Skinner says, Get the hell out of here. Amazing. Get out. And you're like, you yeah. know, they shoot this cleverly because you're like, oh, is he talking to Mulder? Oh, no. <laughs> oh, no, he's talking no. to CSM. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Take a hike. That's good shit. Take a fucking yeah. hike. I love it. And here's where it's, here's the great moment. He kicks him out. Mm. Kicks out Cigarette Smoking Man, which we know is a big deal just from the tiny bit we've seen of the interaction. We know, we don't know Cigarette Smoking Man's position, and that's awesome that that's very vague, but we know he is extremely important and influential. <clears throat> and when Skinner kicks him out of his office, seemingly getting Mulder's back, and then Mulder's like, uh, okay, like what about the whole four-bagger thing? And Skinner's like, yeah, get back to work. And Mulder's like, what, with the dumb wiretapping thing? And he's like, yeah, get back to work. Mm-hmm. We don't have enough yet. Even though Mulder basically just said that's bullshit. So Skinner's like, yeah, get back to your bullshit assignment. And Mulder kind of makes... F- shockingly, shockingly for once. Well, the right choice. Yeah. You know, bites his tongue and is like, Roger that, sir. (laughs) I will see my way out. Skinner's like, (laughs) about face. Skinner's like, listen, I have committed my entire force to putting out this fire. Please don't start another one just yet. Okay. (laughs) Allow me to extinguish this mess 
before embarking on a crusade to start another mess. Yeah. As you're fond of and, doing. And as we get to the next scene, I hope Bodani Girl is still in the chat because... Uh, I see... You want, I don't see her. I do see her. If you, if you want to get warm to the form that we're about to talk about, it's not Mulder running or uh, Scully running her fingers through Mulder's hair. It's the hand touch right The grasp. Because this... This is a grasp. This is a, and I'm doing a Mallrats move, shared moment. Right. Fingers coming together. This is a shared moment. Mm-hmm. This, to me, is my favorite interaction between them of the, of the episode. Because here's Mulder. He, he's back in this bullshit assignment. He has no evidence, again, after this incredible epic trip to Puerto Rico and the Arecibo facility and this encounter possibly with actual extraterrestrial life. He has nothing to show for it. He has nothing. And he's back in the, the depths of this assignment. That means nothing. And yet there's the hand touch and then Mulder, what he says here that, you know, Scully kind of tries to, she's trying to console him, but then she admits she's like, you have nothing. And Mulder says, I still have my work. He has her mm-hmm. and he has himself. That shit that's awesome. Yep. That's awesome. Yep. It's good shit. I have nothing to add there. I think you've covered it perfectly. Yeah. There we go. Yeah. And she doesn't linger on it too long. She, she's no, not being no, a no. creep. Yeah. 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 I mean, not even enough to start a sexual harassment case. Definitely not. No. Yep. So, man, Little Green Men, season two underway. Yes, sir. It sure is. Um, you know, we never really gave our initial impressions about this episode, so yeah. I guess we'll save it all for final thoughts. But before we do, mm. do you have any uh, listener comments you want to? Most definitely. Crack open. Uh, I'd like to welcome back to the fold the one and only Ruthless Ruth Bales, who took an internet hiatus and has since returned. So I just want to say, uh, Ruth, if you're listening, which I imagine you will be, that uh, it is a pleasure to have you back. Um, your personality was greatly missed and um, you have instantly made a positive impact on all of the communities that you have decided to grace with your presence once again. So thank you. And now here's your comment for Little Green Men. She says, I've always found it interesting that they started this new season with the main character such a low, disillusioned ebb. Presenting Mulder in his deflated fatigue state, demoted and on the brink of losing his faith in finding the truth altogether is a pretty clever device. Scully is then, somewhat ironically, put in the position of being the one to reassure him of his sanity and attempt to drag him back out of his pit of grumpy guts, hopelessness, to rekindle the truth-seeking spark that he has lost. This Scully is now so much more than just an observer babysitter for Mulder. She's invested in their investigations because of her own drive for the truth. And they open with Mulder as the sunken-eyed skeptic, doubting even his most established previous beliefs, the old switcheroo. They've grown closer by being apart. Lovely. Mm-hmm. I've heard the episode described as a second pilot, and I guess that makes sense. It brings any new viewers right up to speed on the general premise and tone of the show while emphasizing the importance of the central relationships. Even though we don't get a particularly satisfying conclusion to this particular episode, it's a tasty little introspective apertif. Fucking so British. Aperitif. That I chugged in one. Yum, yum. 
Jesus Christ. <laughs> the hair ruffling and then that handhold at the end. Gorgeous. Mm. Phonetic spelling. The band is getting back together again. Side note, I heard a rumor on the interwebs that the woman on Mulder's answer phone, answer phone? Oh, wow. Sad British. Sad British. <laughs> a supposedly handwriting specialist, Agent Anderson from Young at Art. I kind of love the idea. <laughs> Sorry, that's how I imagined her at the end of that particular hmm. post. I, I'm pretty sure she really laughs just like a, that. A right? silver hmm. lights British laugh. Yeah, like bells ringing. <laughs> Welcome back, Ruth. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I was torn between a few. It's getting a very, it's getting a lot harder, man. We're getting a lot more uh, comments, mm. but uh, just because I saw it um, today, we had a another another great new face join the uh, Facebook group and immediately drop a comment. So I'm going to read one from Clayton Mitchell. Cool who said, this was the first episode I saw a few years back after watching the X-Files and Simpsons crossover episode. Dude. How cool is that? Amazing. Like your interaction to the X-Files is the Simpsons and X-Files crossover. Very cool. Um, the opening of this episode with Mulder's narration had me hooked straight away. Not only that, but the story had me glued to the screen. I found myself feeling what Mulder felt when realizing he didn't record the one bit of evidence that could have helped him. As for the scene of Samantha's abduction, I personally feel the image of her suspended in the air before abduction is one of the best in this particular season. Ah. That is an awesome, it's an awesome visual and it's a great effect um, as it should be for such a powerful character moment. Yes. Very good yeah. stuff. Awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I appreciate the uh, the commentary. Um, Karen uh, Karen Mary making fun of Mulder's toddler haircut is amazing. <laughs> <laughs> toddler. <laughs> toddler. Nice. God damn, man. That, you mean a, to- <laughs> a toddler haircut? That's just funny. Oh, I want to give one more shout out to uh, David Bjorn Bell, who has uh, he's been um, on the page a lot in, in a lot of the live chats too, but he says it's his first time commenting on an app. But uh, he had a good long comment. But at the end, he said uh, Mulder's always been his favorite out of the two. And David Duchovny smashes it out of the park on this one. Great season premiere that set the tone well for how the mythology would continue. Um, I think it's a good point. We didn't even really talk about mm. it. Is that. I mean, this is very much a Mulder-heavy episode. No question. Scully, Scully certainly has her moments, but the weight of this is on Duchovny, and I, I think he does great. Yeah. And uh, I just wanted to bring that up because we didn't really comment on that. I'm going to fuck this up, but I'm going to try. Carmelita Valdez McCoy says, Pobrecito Jorge, que en paz descanse. He was scared shitless. <laughs> <laughs> but he got to spend his final moments with Mulder, who, who could ask for more? Awesome. Nice. Fucking great. Yeah. Well. We're here. Final, first and final thoughts. <laughs> no, little green men. Um, this episode works because of the internal struggles that Mulder is dealing with, as well as the external struggles and the way they line up pretty nicely in a climactic conclusion. Um, I think, I think the episode really rests on him. You know, I, I sometimes say, is it a guarantee? Because when it rests on Jillian Anderson, I say it's a guarantee. And I'm just sort of whimsically saying that off the top of my head right now. And uh, he crushed it. He's great here. Um, it does solely rest on him. I like the idea of following in the footsteps of the finale of season two. You would imagine that Mulder going what he with going 
going through what he went through with Deep Throat and the closing of the X-Files is going to start a way that it's going to start. And it sets the season up for this perfect... It sets the season up perfectly by wrapping up the end of that, putting him where he is, and then allowing the storytelling into season two to be pushed into, oh, fuck, I got to go on this dumb thing. Ooh, this is intriguing. And suddenly it, it, it gets his imagination going again. Like, oh, a body in a sewer, I think, happens next time, right? And, um, and it seems like nothing at first, and he seems sort of passionless about it at first. But then, because he cannot deny his true nature, he starts to fall back into the rabbit holes. I just think it was a great way to set the whole second season up personally. Awesome. I'll, uh, I'll jump right off that and, and say I agree. And I like additionally that we referenced the end of season one, but we don't overly, like we don't go back B for B. I like that Deep Throat was mentioned because that was such an important moment, but they don't like, they don't do some dumb, like bring it up and show a flashback oh, to him getting shot on the bridge. Um, and I like that, you know, it starts at such a low point for the characters, and then it doesn't end with everything being tied up neatly with a bow, and the X-Files is back reopened, and everything's good. It's like, no, like it, kind of almost back at square one, but hope is restored. Like the Mulder's, Mulder's sanity and or quest and or hope is restored, and that's, like the X-Files still aren't back. You're still in this dead assignment. You and Scully are not, formally reunited you don't have the evidence you always wanted but you're back Mm -hmm. and that's that's cool yeah that it's that's a a character driven and not a okay we're gonna get to this point like where this thing happens we're gonna you know it's 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 based off the change we want to see in the character and i think that's such a excuse me that's such a great decision to make yeah and um, great point by the way on the um on the X-Files being closed thing and not being wrapped up with a nice bow, right? That's a good point. Because what you don't want is you don't want this lingering sort of sort of Damocles type of thing, like our jobs are on the fucking line. You don't want that to just be brushed aside and the X-Files are reopened in the, in the first episode of the second season. Let's go with that for a little while. Let's see what that means. Let's mm-hmm. see what kind of storytelling. Let's, let's come out of our comfort zone a little and see how they have to go about investigating weird things when they don't have that particular backing, so to speak. And they have to do it a little more covertly. Like, there's opportunity here. And, and they yeah. instead of shying away from it, they, they ran at it, and I appreciate that. And it, it probably, uh, maybe it'll come as a surprise, because I feel, maybe because of our, our day today, having to do a little social media battling outside of our comfort zone, but um, <laughs> we were a little bit silly and goofy and... Uh, whatever about this episode, but I love it. Yeah, man. You know, on our, on our, on our hate it, didn't like it, liked it, loved it. Um, this one cracks into love it. It's not going to make my top list of episodes, but it's a great season opener. It's so important to coming back into season two. Um, so this one's a, it's a love it for me. That's strong. You? I definitely really like it. Um, perhaps someday I will grow to love it. I think I am still kind of processing it to be perfectly frank, but, um, Perhaps if I lay you back on that bed and I softly run my fingers across your toes mm. and your forearm, mm-hmm. perhaps, perhaps that would make you grow to love me. Perhaps, but I'm going to need you to grab the dick. <laughs> I mean, I'm not in middle school. <laughs> well, trying to have a little subtlety, Sorry. Mike Mulder. Sorry, man. It's, ain't got time for that shit. No, but um, it's, it's good stuff, man. It's, it's good stuff. 
it's a good episode for sure. Um, like I said, it was fun to talk about. It's it's and to get again. I like the living document, so to speak, when we do this stuff. Um, there, unless there's something completely and utterly that really speaks to me on a deep, principled, or storytelling level, I usually don't come in locked and loaded. I come in with some ideas I want to flesh out, and uh, that's that's part of the process that I love. You know, I'm not <laughs> to go back to the dumb Facebook argument earlier, and I'm not. I'm not here to win. I'm. I. That's not my objective. I just want to explore all the cool shit in this show, and that's what makes this nice. show awesome, man. Nice. Well, a uh, couple, a uh, couple quick notes to wrap up. Um, the voting hasn't officially ended. It'll end in two days, but yep. it is far and away for what we're going to cover for our uh, commentary style. And uh, with little surprise, <laughs> three yes. episode seven. Um, <laughs> took that one down so we're gonna cover um unfortunately they're kind of close to each other but um it just kind of works out that way we're gonna do three and firewalker as commentaries three because it was chosen by the voters Mm -hmm. firewalker because um we had covered it before it was the very first episode of any podcast i ever did with you and it's been lost to all time so if we're gonna redo it um we should do it in a different format i think is what we decided right yeah and um, by the time this drops, the quiz will be wrap, wrapped up, but we still have a couple of days left. So we're going to wait on that. And that will be uh, a separate announcement that will come on the feed. So um, you'll hear the host uh, previously recorded will drop next. And uh, we'll be back with you in two weeks with blood. The beginning of the season of season two is going to move quick because we have a number of of episodes we've previously recorded and we will not um, string you guys out unless we absolutely need to. Um, we'll, we'll, those will be extra episodes. So our recordings will still happen every two weeks. So you get little green men uh, and then the host will pop up extra. We'll have blood and then sleepless and then two more previously recorded the, the one and two part Dwayne Barry and Ascension um, until we're back. Dwayne Barry. <laughs> Do you know that three is directed by Emmy Award winning David Nutter of Game of Thrones fame? <laughs> no shit. <laughs> and written by uh, Morgan and Wong. Mm. The heavy hitters. Heavy hitters. Dude, do you remember it at all? Uh, I think so. Dude, you're going to like it. There's, I think I do. It's, it's a little vampire y. Mm. It's basically like Scully was out because you, you know, uh, Jill Anderson's having a baby. And he's like, hey, how about I just play, I have an idea for this character. Um, uh, he's like a writer and uh, he kind of has like a sex addiction. Of course. He pretty much just plays his character oh, from uh, Californication. Excellent. Excellent. Uh, kinda, it's a little goofy. But. Awesome. Well, good times as usual. Thanks for putting up with the nonsense at the beginning um, for you, the, those of you in the live chat. And um, we will. Uh, we look forward to getting right back after it in, uh, in a couple of weeks. Here, that's right. Awesome. See you for see you for blood. Watch out for uh, los hombres pequeños verdes. Mm. Mamanos, baby. That's right. All right, that's it. We're done.